Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church Newburn podcast. My name is Paul Scott Chernitsky, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined this week by Marin. What's up, Marin? Hey, Paul Scott. We are in Marin's office. We just recorded the sermon for this week, which you're about to hear on the podcast. And uh, anything going on at the church this week? So we have Spring Ring happening on Wednesday. That's a big deal. Wonderful concert. That's at 6.30. And just a reminder that if you're coming to the fellowship dinner, if you signed up for that, we're starting at 5 just to start a little early so folks can go to Spring Ring. Cool. Yeah, the bells are back. The bells are back. The bells are back. I think I'll be there, actually. Pat asked me to record the, the kids part. because I kid, thought you might be playing. When, uh, when Pat caught me after recording last night i thought she was gonna ask me to play but she asked me to record the kids because the kids are playing too i didn't know that down on the floor all y'all out there in podcast land may not know that paul scott is very talented in many areas including playing handbells i can read music (laughs) what can i say uh we just recorded the sermon and uh, as it was happening you had a prop I did. And you pulled out a study Bible. A study Bible. And uh, after we recorded, I said, wow, maybe should we talk about study Bibles on the podcast? And you were super excited because is that what we're looking at right here? Uh, Yeah. I have a shelf of Bibles. I collect them. So yeah, in the sermon, I brought out my common English Bible study edition. So that's the one I use the most at the moment. And uh, the reason I switched over to that was that one of my professors in my doctoral program was a contributor to it. And that guy was tough and he knew his stuff. And so I figured that was going to be a really good translation. So I've really enjoyed it. I recommend it, the Common English Bible Study Edition. But I have many other translations of the Bible sitting up on my shelf. If we were, if our listeners were new at the Bible um, a study Bible is just uh, kind of, uh, I always use the word unpacking because I'm a teacher. Oh, yeah. But is that what it is? It's the Is it every verse of the Bible plus their unpacking stuff or have they selected verses? Oh, no. So, so the whole Bible translated, um, and this is a new translation. So um, folks out there may be reading the New Revised Standard Version. That's the version we have in our pews at the church. Um They might be reading the New International Version, the NIV. That's what I grew up with. That was a popular version sort of in in my day. Um, Lots of folks love the King James. They grew up on the King James or the New King James. Um, What else can I say about Bibles? Yeah, so but but like, is it just the Bible? Oh, that was your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it does, it's got, it's got notes. Uh, on most of the verses, some some background or some information to help you understand it better. What I love about the Common English Bible Study Edition is that in the the margins on either side for every verse, it will tell you uh, what uh, biblical allusions or other other biblical connections to that verse. So you might be reading a verse of the New Testament, and it will tell you that this connects to. A psalm. And so then you can go back and read that psalm and see the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So you have more than one study Bible up on the shelf, right? I do, yes. And and are these uh, more questions about it? I'm fascinated. Is the, the study Bible, it, it's not opinionated by the author, like by the person who put it together? Yeah. Did we so say it is? like It is. Well, all translation is interpretation. So all translation is uh, 
is opinion in one way or the other. I mean, there's large editorial boards for all of these, for when I say all of them, for most translations, there's a large editorial board. So a lot of people contributing, which um, I think gives you broad perspective. Um, we hear that in the sermons a lot where you guys talk about how certain words are translated, right? Absolutely. Uh, I've been hearing that over yeah. the years. So when I teach a Sunday school class and we're looking at passages in the Bible, I will often have lots of different versions of the Bible and ask people to read from various versions so that we can see how translation matters on the meaning of the text. So one of my favorite Bibles that I've got up there is an English translation of the Septuagint, which is a translation from the Hebrew into Greek before Jesus was born. So the Old Testament translation translated into Greek bef before Jesus. Um, and some interesting things happen in the Septuagint that then get pulled into to modern Bible translations. And so the, of those, like the one we talked about earlier and that one, are these like your top two? Is there more that you like? I mean, I think they're all fascinating because um, translations, they're sort of on a spectrum between being very formal, like where the, the translators try to go sort of word for word direct translation into English. And then the, the, on the other end of the spectrum is functional. So trying to make it sound uh, sort of meaningful and poetic and give the sense of what the, the biblical writer was trying to write. So all of those Bible translations fall along those spectrums. So, so some are much more formal and some are really much more functional. So they all sort of fall in there. So I find it fascinating to sort of see where they land on that spectrum. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, uh, if I wonder if there's audio versions of them because I'm all into audio books. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. It's probably you can super listen long. In the, listen in the car. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way if you have a commute to uh, listen to a little bit each day. Well, thank you. We are, um, yeah, we're coming live here from your office and it just a sea of books on the bookshelf. So many books. So many Bibles. So if you're ever uh, here and you want to come peek at Marin's Bibles, she'll you are be here. More just than welcome to. Knock on the door and she'll uh, let you have a look. Uh, thanks everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the sermon and we hope you have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. Here we go. As we prepare now to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us go before the Lord in prayer. Living God as the risen Christ met the first disciples in unexpected places May your word meet us this day, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, may we who have not seen yet believe. Amen. In my Common English Bible Study Bible edition, which I have here to show you, if you're looking for a study Bible, this is a great one. In the Gospel of John, the fourth story that we have of Jesus's life, it ends perfectly at the bottom of page 211. In chapter 20 of John, we have heard of Mary Magdalene going to the tomb and finding it empty, and then the chaos that ensues with, with Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved racing to see if it was true. And then Mary seeing the risen Jesus and running back to the apostles to say, I have seen the Lord. And then Jesus appears later that same day in the evening to the frightened disciples. Jesus says, peace be with you. My paraphrase, it's okay, Jesus says, it's okay. See, 
I am alive. I have conquered death. There is nothing more to be afraid of. Be at peace. And then Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. It is a commissioning, a calling, a plan, a purpose for their lives. It is a way to move forward out of this locked room that they are hiding in. I am sending you, Jesus says. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So they are sent. They are given the Holy Spirit for the journey. Everything one could possibly want or need as a disciple. And then a third time Jesus appears. It has been eight days and Jesus appears to the disciples again. And and this time it's when Thomas is there, the last one who needed to see him. And then chapter 20 ends with these words. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name. The end. And they all lived happily ever after. But no, in my Common English Study Bible, you turn the page and lo and behold, there is another chapter in John, something more needed to be said beyond this. There was more to the story. There is no scholarly evidence that this story that John wrote about Jesus was ever passed around without chapter 21, without this additional part of the story that we're going to read part of this morning. It is a needed part of the story, a needed part. And we'll try and explore some reasons why that might be. And so friends, hear now God's word to us. This is from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. This is the New Revised Standard Version. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and then two others of the disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the nets to the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. 
And so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though they were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished, they, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fashion your own belt and you could go wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and they will take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I am just so fascinated by this story, this, this additional visit from Jesus. So when we have left the disciples in chapter 20, they are in Jerusalem. They're locked in a room, afraid for their lives. They see Jesus. They discover miraculously that all is well, and they are given the gift of both a calling and the Holy Spirit. And then when we catch up with them again in chapter 21, they are no longer in Jerusalem. They are back up north in Galilee, and they have returned to their former lives. It is not exactly the happy ending that they were hoping for. Jesus is not with them. The Roman Empire is still in power. There is, there is no God-appointed king on the throne. There is still poverty and disease and struggle. And so I think I think this final chapter was given to us to help us understand what to do when things don't happen the way that we had hoped or planned. What to do with our disappointment when it is difficult to follow through on the things that we had planned, when someone we love is no longer with us and we struggle to figure out how to move forward when our prayers go unanswered. And so rather than bravely venturing out into the world, proclaiming the good news, empowered by the Holy Spirit's presence, which we know will happen for the disciples eventually, they have returned home to their old lives. This is, this is not how they thought the story would end. And many of us feel the same way. Find, we find ourselves in this, this same place. There are those of us who have thought recently, this is not where I thought I would be. Those of us struggling with the realities of change, of growing older, raising families, making career decisions, those of us with 
unexpected pain and heartbreak, dealing with grief and divorce, estrangement from our families. We, we are standing on the right side of Easter. Christ is victorious. Evil and death have lost their sting, and yet sometimes it does not feel as if that were true. Richard Rohr writes that spirituality is always eventually about what you do with your pain. Spirituality is always eventually what you do with your pain. And so we watch this story play out. We watch the disciples in this difficult, painful season of their lives. We watch them fall back into these old habits, perhaps not sure what else to do. And there are, there are three things that happen in the story that I think we need to pay attention to. And so the first thing is that it, it turns out that Jesus is there with them even when they cannot recognize him. He stands on the shoreline. He watches over them as they deal with yet another disappointment, empty nets, a night's work wasted and nothing to eat. And sometimes we cannot see beyond our depression and our pain and our loss. And it's maybe only later that we realize that God was watching over us, that God was on the shoreline the whole time. So the second thing to notice is that the thing that changes everything for the disciples is a sign from God. It is not until they, they pull in this epic catch of fish that the disciple that Jesus loves recognizes Jesus and says, look, there's Jesus. A miraculous catch of fish, that might sound familiar to our ears. We, as we have talked about before, the Bible is full of echoes. There is a miraculous catch of fish when Jesus first invites Peter and James and John to join him, recorded in the Gospel of Luke. So in Luke, Peter tells Jesus that they have been fishing all night and caught nothing, which sounds familiar, right? They've been fishing all night and caught nothing. But because Jesus tells them to try again, they will. And the catch of fish was so large that the nets were splitting and the boats were beginning to sink. Peter, James, and John left everything behind that day to follow Jesus. And there is another echo. The miraculous feeding of the 5,000 on the shores of that very same body of water, the Sea of Tiberias, also called the Sea of Galilee. That story where fish are multiplied to feed a hungry crowd. In John's telling, this miracle of abundant fish caught by the disciples comes not at the beginning of the story, but at the end. It is not the first calling. It is not the introduction to Jesus. It is a recalling a reminder that God loves them, that Jesus is still with them. It is a sign. So this week in our Thursday morning Bible study, we talked about signs. The author of the book that we are reading talked about how blue herons had served as a sign for her. Should we expect signs from God? Is that a reasonable expectation? If we are paying attention, 
to what we are reading in the Bible, we would probably have to answer, yes. It certainly seems like God provides signs when we need them, when we need directions, when we need reassurance, when we need to remember that God loves us. Jesus provided 153 fish for the disciples, a strangely specific number to indicate to us that it was truly a miraculous catch. It was a clear sign to them. What are the signs? What are the signs that God provides for us, especially in our pain and in our disappointment? One of the women on Thursday morning shared that in a particularly difficult time in her life, she challenged herself to intentionally every day look for one sign, one sign that God loved her and it got her through. There is, there is something miraculous about finding God in the midst of our pain. The third thing, the third thing to take away from the story, from this additional chapter in John, this unexpected ending, is that it tells us that the story is not over. If we had gotten to the, the end of chapter 20 in John and wrongly concluded that, that Christ's abundant generosity belongs to the past and not the present, this additional chapter, chapter 21, shows us that the risen Christ continues to bless and to feed us. Jesus calls to the disciples in the midst of their work to come to the beach to eat some breakfast. He's got a fire going. He's got fish and bread in the midst of our ordinary lives. Jesus calls us and feeds us. The story, the story, friends, is not over. But some of us are living in the time in between, in the meantime, waiting in our disappointment. We, we can't go back and we can't seem to move forward. So what do we do when we are waiting, when we are waiting? The guidance is here. It's in the story. Look for regular experiences of God intruding in our ordinary lives. Pay attention to the difference that God's grace makes in our lives. Look for the signs. Look for the signs. The last chapter of John tells us that everything John has shown us keeps going beyond the end of the book into our present moment and into our future. Amen. Oh,
friends, go now in safety, for you cannot go where God is not. Go now in love, for love alone endures. Go now with purpose, and God will honor your dedication. Go now in peace, for it is the gift of God to those whose hearts and minds are in Christ Jesus. Amen.